Well, good morning, everyone. This is J.B. Hickson with NBW Ministries, proclaiming the clear, accurate, and urgent gospel message from my studio beneath the sky, tucked away under the tall timbers of Colorado. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's Monday, January 29th, 2024, kicking off a new week here on Monday with uh, another fan favorite. We are so honored and excited to have Lee Brainerd back with us today. What a great way to start the week. Uh, Lee, uh, you can find out more about him at soothekeep.info. That's soothekeep.info. He's also got a YouTube channel, Soothkeep, and a Rumble channel, Soothkeep. I'll say more about him in just a moment. But as always, we want to start with a couple of quick reminders and uh, a verse for the day, which will be a great verse uh, for the week as we kick off the week. Uh, first, uh, some announcements. Don't forget, tomorrow night we're doing a special Prophecy Night Q&A at our home church, Plum Creek Chapel. That'll be uh, in the church at 6 o'clock Mountain Time, but we're also live streaming that, uh, so you can live stream it at notbyworks.org, uh, and that'll be at 6 o'clock Mountain Time. You know, for those of you who've been with us for a while, we did Prophecy Night every week for many, many months, and then we kind of suspended it as my travel uh, increased, and uh, we have not started back up the regular weekly events, but we decided to periodically do these Prophecy Nights on Tuesday night when my schedule allows, and so that's tomorrow night. Uh, don't miss it. We're going to be taking questions from the audience. I've got some other questions that have been uh, sent in, and we'll get to as many of them as we can. But again, 6 o'clock Mountain Time at notbyworks.org on the live stream page of our website, or come join us in person if you're in the Denver area at 6 o'clock at Plum Creek uh, Chapel in Sedalia. And then uh, also want to remind our Premier subscribers that our next uh, live Zoom Q&A for Premier members is Thursday, February the 15th. That will also be at 6 p.m. Mountain Time, and our featured guest this month will be Mondo Gonzalez. And by the way, I was talking to Lee Brainerd, and he graciously agreed to be a guest on one of those live Zoom sessions. It's official now that I've said it, he can't back out. So uh, we'll look forward to scheduling him for one of those in the future. But those Zoom sessions are for premier subscribers only, but it's a great way for you to ask our guests questions and get to know them a little bit and interact with them. And it's also recorded so that if our premier subscribers aren't able to join live, they can go back and watch it on their premier page uh, at their leisure. Uh, so uh, consider signing up for our premier subscriber uh, program. It's a small monthly fee. You can cancel at any time. I think you can also sign up for a yearly basis and get a couple of months free that way. But uh, check that out at notbyworks.org. Click on the store page and you can find out more about our premier subscriber program. So uh, I appreciate your prayers uh, as I kind of muddle my way through today. If you watched our live stream yesterday from church, you know that I'm, I've come down with some kind of a head cold, and it's really affecting my uh, voice, and, and, and we're just praying that I'm able to get over it pretty quickly because I've got a busy week coming up. Of course, I've got Prophecy Night tomorrow night, and then I hit the road. I'll be speaking four times down in Louisiana uh, coming up over the next uh, week. Uh, so just uh, keep us in your prayers that this little nasty bug will uh, run its course here pretty quickly. Uh, but uh, let me give our verse for the day, and then I'll yield the, the mic to our good friend uh, Lee, and we'll talk about Imminence. We're going to be talking about imminence on the accelerator. He's got a great article by that title, which you can get at soothkeep.info. Um, but we're going to just be talking about what is imminence, what does it mean, uh, as all of us recognize the signs of the times and say things like, 
boy, it seems like the rapture's, you know, getting closer than ever before. What's the biblical basis for that uh, conclusion and those statements such as that? But first, our verse for the day, it's uh, the 29th, and so I was in Proverbs 29 this morning. Verse 2 says, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, but when a wicked man rules, the people groan. And there certainly has been a lot of groaning lately, at least when it comes to American leadership, uh, poor decisions, amazing things that many of us never thought would we would see in our day happening. Uh, what is going on? Well, it's just a yet another sign of the times. But we do know, as the Proverbs uh, continue later on in that chapter, to remind us that the fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord shall be safe. So we may groan as we see all of these wicked earthly leaders conspiring with Satan to usher in the one world system, but we need not ever fear. Fearing man only brings a snare. Instead, we want to keep our faith steadfastly in the Lord, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So with that, let me introduce Lee Brainerd. Needs really no introduction, well known to uh, our audience and the prophecy world at large. He's a scholar and language expert in Greek and Hebrew, and just an uh, incredible student of the Word, but also just an all-around great guy. We've had the chance to have dinner together, visit, and hang out, and he's been very kind and friendly to me, and just I've learned a lot from him. So, Lee, thanks so much for joining us uh, for the program today. Well, uh, JB, it's a blessing to be with you today with the Not By Works uh, org ministry and with the entire Not By Works family. It, it's a blessing to be able to discuss the things of God, especially when we're contemplating the fact that someday soon we get to be with the Trinity forever. Isn't that awesome? I mean, you think about, you know, we're probably about the same age, I don't know, but back in the day, you know, you'd wake up and you'd be in your, your study and you'd be surrounded by books and you're studying the Word and you'd think, man, I wish I could talk to so-and-so or some scholar or some author or but you'd have to pick up the phone, and maybe you'd catch them, maybe you wouldn't, uh, or you'd have to schedule an appointment, and you certainly couldn't talk to people in other countries because it was way too expensive to do a toll call for there. But what a day that we live in to be able to just schedule these conversations every day and talk with with each other and iron sharpening iron. So you're right, it, it is it is a privilege. So all right, eminence. Um, you have done quite a lot of work. Uh, I think some some really uh, cutting edge work on helping us think through the definition of eminence as it relates to the doctrine of the rapture. So I'm going to just kind of give you the floor. I'll interject here and there as uh, as I have questions or comments. But why don't we start by defining eminence and kind of explaining some of the tension that we feel about this subject, and then uh, take it from there. Yeah. Well. Obviously, imminence, it, I wouldn't say it's a fundamental doctrine of the faith in the same way that salvation by faith alone or belief in the Trinity, eternal hell, or heaven is a fundamental doctrine of the faith, but it certainly is a central tenet of our understanding of the prophetic teaching of the Scriptures in, in the dispensational viewpoint. Imminence is the understanding that uh, the rapture and the tribulation and the coming day of the Lord, uh, where the Lord's going to descend to earth, trample Armageddon, and then the coming kingdom, all this stuff is looming on mankind's horizon. And every generation of the church, from the apostles themselves to all the early church fathers, all the way to the present day, every generation of Bible-believing Christians 
has looked forward to this. They've sensed that it's on the horizon. They sensed that it's near, and they live in that expectancy. They live in the expectancy that they could see these things in their lifetime. Yeah, and by the way, when you know the Bible actually encourages us to do that, we were talking before the program started about uh, a key word in, in the Greek New Testament, apek dekamai, used seven yeah. times, and all seven times it's in the context of the rapture, and it just means eagerly waiting. So from the early days of, of the New Testament, the early church was eagerly waiting for the return of the Lord. Uh, obviously, as the Bible was written and we had the complete revelation of the New Testament, they began to connect the dots. They began to understand that there would be a first coming to meet the Lord in the air for the church, and then there would be a second coming all the way to the earth to establish the long-awaited messianic kingdom. But there's always been this expectancy of the Lord's return, right? There, there absolutely has. I mean, I, I've done a lot of work in the early church fathers looking for their eschatology in general, for their uh, rapture position in particular, for their understanding of the tribulation in particular. But one thing that stood out to me over and over again amongst these authors is they always seem to live in the expectancy that this could happen in their lifetime. Now, men might frame that uh, on that expectancy, might frame it a little different, but you can't escape the fact that they lived in that expectancy. Yeah, for sure. And so um, let's let's kind of think through uh, your article, Eminence on the Accelerator. So, um, you know, I was, I grew up uh, in a dispensational environment, went to a dispensational seminary, two of them actually, Dallas and Baptist Bible for my advanced degrees. And, you know, was influenced heavily by Dr. John Walbert, a great stalwart of the faith. And one of the kind of the, uh, simple definitions of eminence that you hear bandied about is can happen at any moment. And uh, you've kind of encouraged us to think through what that does not mean. And it does not mean that there's sort of a randomness to the rapture. It's not like it's just uh, not part of God's plan. Somehow it's just going to be sporadic and somehow even God might be surprised that it happened. You know, it's, it's actually part of a plan Talk to us a little bit about kind of the nuances between random yet not necessarily predicted at a certain date, because we don't know the date or the hour, yet, yes. yet, yet not random. Well, how I like to explain it is the day of the second coming is on God's calendar set in concrete. It was set in concrete before the foundation of the world. Uh, the tribulation is attached to that. That's a specific length of time. Uh, that's set in concrete. The rapture precedes that by an unknown window of time. Now, that window's not unknown to God. He knows that window to the moment, to the second, but we don't. So when we're, if we're going to talk about no man knows the day nor the hour, we want to talk about it from the fact that our lack of light, we don't have enough revelation in the Scripture that will enable us to pinpoint the rapture, um, in fact, from this point in time, we can't pinpoint the second coming or the tribulation either. Uh, once the tribulation starts, people can, can pinpoint the midpoint of the tribulation and the second coming, but we don't have that luxury now. But even beyond the fact that we don't have the revelation that we need to pinpoint the coming rapture, um, we don't have... Uh, uh, earlier in the church age, we didn't even have enough illumination to fully understand what we understand today. 
uh, in Daniel chapter 12, I believe it's verse 4, that in the last days there's going to be an increase in knowledge. I think the core of that knowledge increase is going to be an increase in the body of Christ as they understand prophetic scriptures. We can look back into the uh, 1830s and through the 1850s and see the understanding of the prophetic scriptures explode like wildfire through Europe and through America, and since then that fire's not gone out. So when we're looking at this, um, and we're we're trying to define imminence, and that we're like coming at the angle from signless and no man knows, we want to make sure that we're not implying that it's random, that that God could just randomly drop the rapture down anywhere in the flow of time. He can't. This whole any moment aspect of it, this imminent aspect of it, really pertains to our inability to see into the future any farther than is revealed in Scripture. And because we don't know, uh, that means that any generation throughout church history could have and should have, biblically, been expecting the rapture at any moment in their day, even That's though right. now, in 2024, with the benefit of new information and, and other stage-setting events like the rebirth of Israel, we can kind of see a little more clearly. I think uh, you you used the Paul's words in your article, uh, like we seeing through a glass dimly, but the, you know we we see more clearly now. Yeah. Uh, so we we might look back and say, well, clearly there was no way the rapture could have happened in you know the 1400s, right? But yeah. at that time they didn't know that. So uh, let's talk about the rebirth of Israel because that, by all accounts, is the preeminent sign of our day, right? Yeah, that's exactly when, right. When Israel became a nation, it's like everybody began to just, you know, get excited. In fact, I did for one of my PhD uh, uh, articles uh, years ago, um, I did a study on uh, a a history of dispensational thought on the Olivet Discourse, and I went back and traced on all the key pericopes within the Olivet Discourse the history of, of thought among dispensationalists, and it was fascinating how so many of them changed after 1948, whereas prior to 1948, they would have applied a lot of it to the church. All of a sudden, Israel becomes a nation, and then they go, oh, this is going to apply to Israel. And so it was really, a, it, it, it was a key event, and we tend to mark kind of everything in terms of our uh, prophetic studies and our, uh, not predictions, but just our anticipation and seeing the stage being set from that day. So could the rapture have happened, hypothetically, prior to 1948? From from God's perspective, no. From our limited perspective, every generation lived in that expectation. So if we're talking from the human perspective, it would have been wrong for us not to be expecting that things could accelerate and develop in our lifetime. The Bible presents to us the the um, the imperative of living in this expectancy. This is part of our spiritual health. Mm-hmm. This is part of our uh, spiritual learning curve is to live in that expectancy. Yeah, I'm teaching through First Thessalonians right now at Plum Creek Chapel, and I talked about in my opening message a few weeks ago uh, how the you know, doctrine of the rapture and the the hope of Christ's return is a key motivating factor in our sanctification, our progressive sanctification, that it draws us closer to Him. It helps us 
get out of bed every morning. You know, it's like Paul said, if in this life only we have hope, I am of all men most pitiable. It's like we need to set our minds on things above where Christ is, who will who will come back someday. And so I, I absolutely agree that there is a biblical imperative. It's part and parcel to um you know, to who we are as Christians, which, by the way, as a side note, is one of the reasons why I think the church is in such dire straits today, is yes. they've neglected teaching end times prophecy. The average believer today has no interest in, the average preacher today has no interest in teaching and studying end times prophecy, and it reflects in their immorality, their apostate behavior, and, and their spiritual immaturity, because if you think this world is all there is, uh, like... Uh, like some of our, uh, you know, uh, some some teachers out there are suggesting the king kingdom is now, and this is this is as good as it's going to get, and Christian hedonism, and we've just got to, you know, this is it, right? Uh, that's not the the viewpoint the Bible gives us, is it? We're supposed to be sojourners, pilgrims passing through. We have a job to do, to be sure. We're not just to move to a mountaintop and kind of sell all our possessions and wait wait for his return. We've got a job to do. We're here for a reason. But part of that mode, you know, part of that perspective is certainly understanding God's end times plan. Do you, do you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. And you you brought up the pilgrim journey aspect, the the pilgrim and stranger aspect. This is really lost in modern Christianity. And I like to tell people, hey, if the first thing that comes to your mind when you're thinking prophecy is a little timeline with putting the rapture dot in the right spot, then you don't really understand prophecy. Um, the, the real core distinction of, of prophecy really actually comes down to ecclesiology because it's a distinction between Israel and the church and that God has a plan for Israel and a plan for the church. And, and people sometimes will understand that, but in a very superficial way. They haven't really walked through the ramifications of the fact that Israel is an earthly uh, uh, economy and the church is a heavenly economy. And these economies operate on a different platform. Israel had an obligation to take political control of the land. The church doesn't have that obligation. Now, we have an obligation in our heavenly testimony to be a, a voice in the political world, but we're not given a commission to change the world. We're given a commission to proclaim the truth to the world in every avenue that we have available, whether that's the media, whether that's the politics, whether it's in your work realm, wherever we're at, then part of our pilgrim testimony down here is that we are not of the world. We are of the, we're the children of God, and we are part of the kingdom to come. This world is a dark world, and we are the bearers of light in a dark world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that distinction was was uh, very much talked about in you know, the middle of the 20th century by some of the great dispensational scholars. But I think it's kind of faded out a bit uh, as replacement theology has taken on more of a stranglehold uh, and this notion that the church is the new Israel and God is is through with Israel and there is no future for national Israel, which of course flies in the face of, of you know, the, the, the scripture. But, you know, I think of Colossians 3. It's, if then you are raised with Christ— Colossians 3, 1, and this is a first-class conditional in Greek, so it's since you were raised with Christ, yep. we've been born again, uh, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on earth, for you Amen. die, 
and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And then here's the connection to end times prophecy. Verse 4 says, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Well, you know, why do why do we think it is that that Jesus in his final comforting intimate moments with his closest uh friends just hours before he was betrayed and and arrested and tried and and and, and walked up that Via Dolorosa and 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 was put on the cross for our sins. The, one of the last things he said, he begins his message, and of course I'm talking about the upper room discourse, with a reference to his return. I mean, that's, you know, I, I go to prepare a place for you, but I'm coming back, right? Uh, you know, Amen. early on in that message, he he highlights that uh, reality, and it's because it it does give us hope in an otherwise dark and, and difficult world. So you're, when we talk about imminence on the accelerator, we're not suggesting that we can set a date or that we can get out our calculators um, and, you know, pinpoint exactly when it's going to happen. But what we are saying is that if you pay attention to what's happening the way the Bible tells us to, you know, Jesus said, look at the signs of the times, it does seem like the likelihood that the rapture is going to be happening sooner uh, than later. Is that is that a fair way to kind of summarize the acceleration aspect of imminence? Well, absolutely. And some would be a little more aggressive in the expression of that. Some would be a little bit more hesitant than that. But the generic theory is the rapture is on the near horizon. We have no idea whether that means it's hours away, days away, weeks away, months away, or a few years away. We might even find that it's a decade away. In all of our calculations and thoughts, we miss something. So we, we need to be careful on this. You know, I often remind myself that some of the greats whose books we read in the 70s and 80s thought that things were just around the corner. When the 90s and the 2000s come, they were absolutely shocked we hadn't gone yet. Well, we need to be careful. I think that we're, we can easily do the same thing in our day. I don't think we're going to be decades off this time but we could easily be significantly off. Um, it's real easy, even though we see the prophetic convergence around us increasing at an accelerating pace in its intensity, in its variety, in its notoriety, and yet it's going to be too easy for us if we're not careful to be thinking, oh, it's, the rapture has to happen this year or, right. or next year at the latest. Well, no. We have no idea how deep into the tribulation stage setting we can go. You know, we have no idea how what the setting is going to look before the tribulation kicks off. And we don't know if we're going to go up two hours before the tribulation starts, two days, two weeks, two months, or two years. So we really have no ability on any kind of a technical or rational basis to say we know that we're going to go up at X amount of time. We just don't know that. I mean, that's a great word of caution because um, we're tasked with finishing strong. We want to keep yeah. going strong for the Lord, sharing the gospel <clears throat> like I talked about yesterday at Plum Creek Chapel. Um, we we want to be faithful until the end. We don't want to, you know, finish uh, early. You don't want to quit and drop out before the, the race is done. Um, so I do fear that 
in this day and age, because let's face it, you and I are in the Bible prophecy realm. We we attend and speak at all the big prophecy conferences, and there is a resurgence over the last few years of interest in Bible prophecy. You know, there sure I, is. I've been doing this a long time. You have too, and I, you know, I can tell you there was a time when it was hard to get people to come to prophecy conferences. When I was invited to speak at churches, you know, they would say, ah, you know, maybe pick a different topic because their people just aren't interested in that. Well, now the conferences are selling out, you know, and standing room only and 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 it's exciting and I but I think one of the fears that or cautions and you you've articulated it well is that we just don't know as much as we see the stage being set and it seems like that curtain's going to rise at any moment. Let's not put all egg, all our eggs in that basket because I think we would be ill-equipped and ill-prepared. Many many believers will be if the Lord tarries. And again, when we say the Lord tarries, it's not like He hasn't made up His mind. He knows when He's coming back. But from our perspective, if that's right. The Lord is tarrying. Uh, we may face some pretty dark days ahead. Um, the key thing to remember is we just don't know how much time there will be between the rapture of the church and the signing of the covenant that starts the 70th week of Daniel. That's an That's unknown. Exactly right. So it it seems like it's going to be a fairly short amount of time. That's what makes the most sense to me. But I know scholars that like, I think Arnie Fruchtenbaum and others say it could be a matter of years. Um, and we just don't know how much of the stage setting, even before the rapture, could endure. You know, um, and so we could be we could be here a while longer. We don't want to we don't want to be guilty of setting dates. Uh, and I think that's why we need balance in terms of our walk with the Lord to to to, to serve Him expectantly, but not resign ourselves to oh, it's definitely going to happen in the next five years, right? Right. And, you know, you bring up a really good point, and it's probably worthwhile to bring up this for an example that we need to be careful of. Now, when we come to the first coming of the Lord Jesus, they were given a very specific prophecy in Daniel 9, 24 through 27. There were going to be 70 weeks declared upon Israel and upon Jerusalem. And, and people, you know, the 70th week is going to be separated from the first 69. They could take the 483 years of the first 69. They could count those years out. It was an exact number. This was exact math. God doesn't play with just with weird nebulous numbers. He, he's exact. So when we come to this, the, here's the difficulty. People were not, there was some question where you were supposed to measure from. Now, most of us have settled on the 20th year of Artaxerxes, and that seems to fit with uh, the time of the cross. But when they were measuring to the coming of the Messiah, to the coming of, of, of our king, what were they measuring to? Were they measuring to the, the day of his birth? Were they measuring to his bar mitzvah, if whatever they had that was a similar thing back then? Were they measuring to his 30th birthday, to his coronation, to his conquering? of the Roman Empire. I mean, what were, what was the reference to? Nobody knew. Well, with 2020 hindsight, we can look back and say, oh yeah, from the 20th year of Artaxerxes up until the time of the cross, um, it, it actually works out. And people might have 445 BC and one date, 444 BC and a date, but it works out. So now we have a similar situation when we come to our time in the second coming of the Lord. A lot of people love the 6,000-year theory where there's six 
thousand one year days from from Adam until the second coming. The millennium is a thousand year long Sabbath rest. There's four thousand years apparently according to Hosea five fourteen through six two. There would be four thousand years from Adam to the cross and two thousand years from the cross to the kingdom. This all seems to work out. It looks like good math. And folks, I believe that this. I personally, I believe this theory is given to us uh, for an exact number analogous to the number that we have in the Old Testament. But here's the difficulty: Do we know for absolute certain what the year of the cross was? We don't. Do we know for certain that our calendar is not off a year or two, that if we're overlapping of the calendars and adjusting of the calendars, that we've lost time? We, we don't know that for absolute certain. Do we know that there's a variable that we're not aware of that belongs in the equation? No, we don't know that. I mean, just think, for example, when we're in the book of Daniel and in chapter 12, at the end of the tribulation, you have the extra days added, right? Um, so we have things like this that belong in the equation. We start going, and we don't know how big the window is between the tribulation and the rapture. We start dealing with things like this, folks. Uh, the most accurate guesstimations on the planet on the rapture could be years off. So we we need to be really careful with this. I like to tell people, okay, let's just assume for the sake of argument that the 6,000 years uh, that we that was actually given to us to use as a number, and we think AD 33 is a cross, we plug it in, we add the 6, we add the 2,000 years, we come to the kingdom starts in 2033, we back up seven years, the tribulation starts in 2026. Okay, that means a rapture could happen in earlier in 2026 or in 2025, and if there's a bigger window, 2024. Okay, this looks really cool, and I think it is really cool, but here's the difficulty. If we get into the summer of 2026 and the rapture hasn't happened, I am not going to be shaken one iota. I'm not going to say, oh, my goodness, the Bible failed. Why, why am I not going to say that? My first thought is going to be, Either our calendar's off or something belongs in the equation that I overlooked, but I am going to blame myself in my understanding. I am not going to blame the Word of God or the Lord Himself. Well, yeah, absolutely. And, and if, that, if, if it doesn't happen, I'm going to blame you. I've already decided. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I mean, I, that is so profound what you just said. I want to reiterate a couple of things there. So uh, first of all, I'm, I'm, we're going to post our Daniel's 70 Weeks chart in the free section of our online store. I thought it was already there. I just checked on it. I didn't see it. So I've, I've asked a Brooke to post it there. So I encourage folks to go to our store and download the free chart. But you're exactly right. We don't know. I was going to bring this up, but you you mentioned it too. We don't know whether the decree of Artaxerxes was March 5th, 44, 444 BC, or was it in 445 BC? So there's a historical leeway there. We don't have an exact, thus saith the Lord there. We're, we're best we can connect the dots. I, I follow Honer's uh, dating, and I think it was probably March 5th, but we can't be dogmatic about it. Um, and then if you do the math and you, you, know, you have the 483, 
years on the Jewish calendar. That's 173,880 days. It seems to coincide, if Harold Honer's calculations are right, with the triumphal entry. But the point is, it doesn't matter whether it's precisely that day or whether it's, you know, any time in the life of Christ. The point is, Daniel's prophecy was was accurate that from the from the you know decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah comes would be right. this length of time and that's exciting i mean that absolutely ought to excite us but we we don't want to hang our hat on you know the the precision of it even though you know, I, I wouldn't be dogmatic about it, but I'm pretty confident. I sat under Harold Honer, and and I I I feel like it's kind of his magnum opus was redating the apostolic era, and I think he's just done phenomenal work there. But the point is, the same thing is true in regards to the second coming of Christ. That's um, right. We don't have those. Uh, what are they called? The terminus ad quem and the terminus ad quo, or I, I may have the Latin wrong there, but the the definitive beginning point, the definitive ending point. We don't have that absolute stake in the ground. And so all we can do is look up, be watchful, be faithful. Uh, but at the same time, and this is not contradictory in Scripture, God's Word does tell us to watch the signs of the times. In the same way that Jesus rebuked the first century generation, that they should have known that He was coming. I mean, they had plenty of signs, born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem, you know, John the Baptist, the forerunner, all of these things should have made a light bulb go off, and yet they still missed it. I think there are a lot of believers today that are going to miss the rapture, not not physically miss it, but, you know, they, they, they don't pay attention to Bible prophecy because they've allowed other things to overshadow that, you know, key teaching in Scripture, you know, 16% roughly of the Bible is unfulfilled end times prophecy. That's a big percentage. So, uh, you know, a lot of these, uh, you know, uh, Christians are happy with 84% of the Bible, and I think it's because they're not paying attention in the same way that that first century uh, church was. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, people do the same thing, and I love the way you said it, you know, take, taking that 7,000-year paradigm. Like you, I'm fascinated by that. We had a guest on last year that kind of laid out that model, and for those who don't know, it's essentially the model that God's plan of the ages uh, mirrors His seven days of creation, uh, and the seventh day is the seven, is the millennium, the, the thousand-year millennium, so that we have a, you know 7,000 years of human history, which includes 4,000 years before the cross, 2,000 years of the church age, and then a thousand-year kingdom. And when you start to put those pieces together, excuse me, um, you, you, uh, you get pretty excited. And, but where we want to draw the line is in getting out our calculators, like you said, and pointing to 2033 as the inauguration of the kingdom, and then working backwards from there and trying to pick a date of the rapture. Usually they pick it in September because of the Feast of uh, Trumpets or whatever. But another a parallel to that, and I'm sure you've heard about this, is and, and this is another one of those things that makes me go, oh, yeah, this this could be, and it gets me excited, but that's the, uh, the asteroid Apophis. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so the question is, you know, we've got this this asteroid that's supposed to hit, uh, I think it's April 13th, uh, 2029, um, and, uh, you know, depending on who you listen to, the official NASA report is that it's going to be a near miss. It might wipe out some satellites, but it's not going to be a direct impact, but there are some whistleblowers that have said, well, our calculations show it's a dead hit on, on the Earth. Um so then people go to uh, uh, Revelation chapter 8 and the third trumpet judgment and this great star falling from heaven. Um, 
and it's called Wormwood in Scripture. Well, could Apophis, this known asteroid that's on a track to come near the earth, could it be the fulfillment of that third trumpet judgment? And then people start getting out their calculators, and they go, well, if it is, and we know Wormwood happens sometime in the second half of the tribulation, let's say four years into the tribulation, well, that, and if that's going to happen in 2029, then that means the tribulation starts in 2025, which means the rapture has to happen before then. And, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting, but it's not exegetical, right? And so we want to be careful about that. To me, I have a, a whole chapter in my a book, uh, Spirit of the Antichrist, Volume 2, that talks about the timetable, and I'm going to be speaking about that in Orlando this year. Uh, there are a lot of signs converging that speak to the 2020s as Satan's ultimate <clears throat> goal to, to usher in the one world system. So it's a bit difference of it could be versus it will be. And as long as we keep that balance, I think we're on good ground, right? Yeah, absolutely. And not to mention, there's actually a number of large rock bodies that fall from the heavens in the book of Revelation. And, and, uh, there's probably going to be a lot more that fall that are not named in the book of Revelation. So we really have no idea what part this Apophis is going to play in the picture, although it does seem to harmonize with what we think is the overall prophetic picture of the last days. It shouldn't surprise us that we see a big rock heading for the earth. Yeah, and I think it comes down to not seeing the forest for the trees. You know, some people become so obsessed with these specifics, try to date set and try to figure it all out, that they miss the big picture, which is, A, as we've said several times today, we have a job to do. We, we are not to become so obsessed with end times prophecy that we forget why God has us here for such a time as this. Yeah, we ought to be a light in this perverse generation. We ought to be uh, drawing people to Christ. We ought to be proclaiming the soon coming of our Lord uh, and, and sharing the gospel and so forth. Um, but you know, when we when we obsess with the dates, then it it takes valuable time away from what we should be focusing on, uh, and and which is being faithful. But at the same time, the the other side of that is there is an excitement, there is an energy. I mean. Yep. I'm thrilled to be living in the day in which we live. I wish my grandfather were alive today because he was a passion, you know, passionate about the rapture. I hope the Lord comes back in the lifetime of my father who's passionate about uh, the rapture. Uh, and I just feel humbled, really, that we're living in an age when we're seeing, uh, you know, kind of as you mentioned earlier about Daniel 12, 4, seeing an increase in knowledge, seeing so many things happen technologically that could easily explain the descriptions we see during that uh, seven-year tribulation. That's exciting. It it ought to. There's an urgency uh, of the hour, don't you think? Yes, there sure is uh, a desperate urgency in, in many ways because the the churches through several different avenues, theological avenues, error avenues, has been slowly sinking into the mire of worldliness, and, and not merely worldliness in that they got a few worldly things they do, but into a worldly mentality, into their, their happy in this world. And the second coming of the Lord Jesus is really problematic for them. They don't like to think about it because they're comfortable with their life. They want to get their education. They want to live out their dreams down here. And so their mind is all settled on earthly things. 
And we need to have our mind settled on heavenly things because, folks, this world is going to pass away. It not might pass away, it will pass away. Yeah, and, uh, and you know, I, you mentioned earlier this idea of uh, the, the, the viewpoint out there that says our task is to change the world by, you know, ushering in a, a kingdom and voting in, you know, people, this, this sort of kingdom now reconstructionist uh, right. mindset, uh, theologians call it theonomic ethics. Um, and I think that the problem with that, first of all, besides the fact that, you know, we're not going to see perfect peace and righteousness and justice until the Prince of Peace comes back. It's going to get worse and worse, not better. That's right. So, I mean, it seems like we're kicking against the goes there. Uh, it doesn't mean, as you said, doesn't mean that we shouldn't be politically active. I talk about that all the time. You know, people uh, have mischaracterized my viewpoint on politics. I absolutely believe that at the highest levels, the, the game is rigged. Uh, but uh, if you don't believe that, or if you've not studied that enough to become convinced of it, then you have a moral duty to vote and to vote your conscience and to do your best to to hopefully make a difference as long as we're here. We we have we want to have a biblical worldview and not you know ignore that the opportunity that we have to make a difference. Uh, so I I don't believe in pretend voting. I mean that's silly. Why would you pretend vote? Uh, uh, I don't have time for that. But if you if you think your vote counts, you absolutely should vote. And on many levels, it does. Local levels, municipalities. My research has shown me that it can make a huge difference. We had Alex Newman on recently, and he talked about where he lives. In an island off the coast of Florida, uh, they they were largely unscathed by the whole pandemic issue because their local representatives didn't buy it. They just completely rejected the whole narrative. So for them, it was like they were watching what was going on around the world, but they didn't it didn't affect them. So that's an example of how our doing our civic duty can make a difference. But if somebody thinks that somehow, you know, they're going to change the world if we just elect enough Republicans. I think they're they're missing the point, uh, and and their 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 hope is misplaced, uh, and that's what we've tried to expose in my last three books is just the reality of the false right left paradigm, how it was a contrivance. We know that on record, going back to Carol Quigley's work in Tragedy and Hope, uh, and uh, Cleon Skousen's uh, abridged version of that, or kind of commentary on that. You know, it's uh, it's it's pretty clear to me, but I don't think you know. There, there's a there's a healthy tension there between trying to make a difference and be salt in this world, salt and light in this world, and yet avoiding the perspective that somehow, you know, it's our job to clean up this world and make it good enough so that when it's finally good enough, Christ says, okay, you've you've accomplished what I wanted you to, now I'll come back and step into a fully mature kingdom. That's not the picture the Bible paints. That's right. And we even see a problem uh, at times with uh, progressive dispensationalism, which hasn't embraced that whole post-millennial viewpoint or the whole kingdom dominion viewpoint, but they've certainly been influenced by it, and they like to do this both-and type proposition, so that we have an obligation to start the process of redeeming the earth, and the Lord Jesus will finish it when he gets down here. But folks, we have not been given an uh, a commission to redeem the world. We're given a commission to present the message of redemption to mankind and see people redeemed one soul mm. at a time. That's yep. our only commission. Yeah, and, uh, and and when we talk about things like do good unto all men, especially those of the household of faith, 
this is really part of this overall commission because we have an op- an obligation to live the gospel truth and not just preach the gospel truth. Yeah, I talked about that yesterday, setting a good example in conduct, as Paul talked about in 1 Thessalonians 2. You know, sharing the gospel absolutely has to include words, right? There's no question. If you're not using words, you're not sharing the gospel. The Bible's very clear about that. You know, in Ephesians 2, it's, it's having heard the word of the truth of the gospel, having then believed it, you know, so faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. But at the same time, our testimony is crucial because it can discredit the Christian message and the Christian uh, witness. And so we absolutely want to set a good example. You mentioned progressive dispensationalism. For our listeners who don't know, that's a a fairly recent, last 30 years or so, uh, viewpoint within dispensational teaching. I was very much involved in uh, dialoguing with some of the early uh, proponents of that, Daryl Bach, Craig Blazing, Bob Sosey, um, and uh, I respect those men. I mean, they love the Lord. They're 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 men of God. Uh, they just have a, come to a different conclusion. But I remember uh, having many a late night discussion with uh, with uh, uh, Daryl Bach, and I interviewed him also for some of my PhD studies. And you know, there you called it uh, uh, then and now. It's, they, it's an already not yet is their paradigm. Yep. Yep. And, you know, I I kind of agree with you. I don't want to be too harsh, but in their view, they think the Davidic covenant is already in place. Christ is already on the Davidic throne. The new covenant is fully inaugurated. The only one they think is yet future is the land covenant. And the, the, so they do still believe in a future literal millennial reign of Christ. But it sort of begs the question, why? I mean, yep. if you think two-thirds of the covenant program of God is already inaugurated. I mean, it's just one small step to full-blown, you know, amillennialism or post-millennialism. Uh, so it's it's a I don't I don't like slippery slope arguments, but it it just seems like they're hanging on to premillennialism by a thread, uh, and I, I don't mean that pejoratively. Uh, it's just theologically, I have a hard time getting there. Christ is not on David's throne today; he's on the throne in waiting at the right hand of God. Someday he will come back and take the earthly throne in a literal rebuilt temple in a literal kingdom, uh, as described uh, in the Old Testament. So, uh, so yeah, we. Uh, yeah, we, you know, we're not, you know, we're not inaugurating the kingdom today. We are stewards in this mystery of the church, which began suddenly on the day of Pentecost. It will end suddenly at the mystery of the rapture. It's a, a intercalation in God's plan with Israel. As soon as the rapture happens, God's focus shifts right back to Israel to complete the seventieth of, of the of the. 70 weeks of Daniel, that final week, that final seven-year period. Remember, week is Shabua, uh, Hebrew for seven-year period. Can mean seven-day period, but in the context, context always determines meaning. He's clearly talking about years because he talked about Jeremiah's 70-year prophecy. Um, so, you know, right now the church is center stage. We are God's, you know, plan. I talked yesterday at Plum Creek about how God doesn't have a plan B. You know, if the church isn't doing our job, it's not like he can count on somebody else to shit, spread the gospel. So, um, just fascinating study. But I, you know, I want to close out, and I'll, I'll give you the last word here. We want folks to understand that imminency uh, is accelerating, and we say that because the signs of the times are everywhere. So we can't be dogmatic. We can't say, thus saith the Lord. But boy, you'd have to be living in a cave not to see that it, it seems like it's right around the corner, right? 
That's right. They've increased in variety. They've increased in intensity. They've increased in their frequency. They've increased in their notoriety and their iniquity. They're really increasing in every way that things can increase as far as the devil's plan down here is going. And when we look around at this increasing uh, intensity and frequency and, and degree of the fulfillment of Bible prophecy, whether we're looking at things like the digital currency or the geopolitical arrangement in Europe or the geopolitical arrangement in the Middle East, or we look at the wars and rumors of wars, there's just so many things that we can look at. Um, and the, the exponential increase in the number and intensity of, of severe earthquakes. So we, we have all this stuff we're looking at. And there's always a temptation for people to think, well, this stuff is so bad, we have to be out of here like tomorrow or, or this year. We have to be. And, and that was the talk of a lot of people for the last couple of years where some of us responded to their uh, high watch date rapture theories on, on, you know, in 2022 and with the um, their theories on, on that year and then their theories this, this last year. But the difficulty is these people are, are excited, rightly so, about prophetic convergence. But the concept that it's so bad right now, the convergence is so bad, we have to go up or we're going to be in the tribulation. We don't know that. Right. We don't know that, and we can't go there. So I just like to encourage people, folks, we know it's, it's the Word of God. We are not going to be in the tribulation. But we don't know how bad we can see things before we go up in the rapture. We have no idea. Yeah, I mean, well said. And it's also a bit, uh, I, I don't want to be harsh, but it's a bit naive for people who think, wow, it's so bad that it's got to happen today or we're going to be in the tribulation. It's, it shows a lack of, of sensitivity to an understanding of what our brothers and sisters in Christ have faced for the last 2,000 years. Because oh, I'm no sure doubt. I'm sure, you know, people that have been martyred by the thousands, by the millions, uh, you know, the Coptic Christians, the Christians in Nigeria recently, I'm sure they thought, wow, this is pretty bad. I mean, uh, you know, the rapture has got to happen soon. See, the, the rapt, people have a misunderstanding of the rapture. The rapture is not a promise that we will be rescued before things get bad. The rapture is a promise that we will be rescued before the great and terrible day of the Lord, that seven-year tribulation period. That's what the promise is. And for a lot of Christians, it's been really bad already. And if the Lord doesn't come back soon, it could be bad for us. And that's what we want to caution people about, is to be ready, be prepared, and recognize that, uh, you know, yes, it's exciting. We do, we do have this expectancy. We see the convergence. But, you know, let's not obsess over that and, and think that we can sell all our possessions and just kind of wait on a mountain and say, here I am, Lord, come get me. So thanks, Lee. This has been just really, really, really awesome. And folks, if you're listening to this and, excuse me, and it's been uh, somewhat unsettling, maybe it's because you're not certain you're going to spend eternity in heaven when you die. You know, if the Lord doesn't come back in our lifetime, then we'll go the way of all flesh. It's appointed unto men once to die. Life's ultimate statistic is the same for everyone. One out of one dies. Uh, so whether it's at the rapture or at death, uh, we all have an appointed day that we're going to meet the Lord. And I hope that there's been a time in your life when you've placed your trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone as the only hope of salvation. The Bible says we're all sinners. We need a Savior. 
Uh, we can't save ourselves. We can't be good enough. We can't promise enough, pledge enough, commit enough, surrender enough, be good enough to merit God's, uh, you know, righteousness and His, you know, uh, law, His, uh, you know, uh, holiness, and, and and meet up to His standard. The the righteous demands of a holy God demand perfect righteousness. And Jesus said, "Unless you're perfect, you'll never see the kingdom of heaven." And the only way to be perfect is to have the perfect righteousness of Christ given to you, and you get that by faith. The Bible says in Romans 5.1, we are justified by faith and have peace with God. We're justified freely. It's not something you can earn. It's not something you can pay for or be good enough for. Uh, it's simply coming empty-handed to the cross. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. And I hope today, if you've never done that, that today would be the day of the new birth, the, day, the first day of your eternal life. You get eternal life the moment you believe in Jesus Christ, who died and rose again for your sins. Have you trusted in Him today? That's my question. For those of you that already know the Lord, I want to encourage you to use what we've talked about today with uh, with Lee Brainerd uh, to, to motivate you that time is short. Uh, we have a job to do. Let's be urgent. Let's live for the Lord. Let's set a good example. Let's share the good news, and let's... Uh, uh, pray that indeed, maybe, maybe today, come Lord Jesus. So we've been talking with Lee Brainerd. You can find out more about him at soothekeep.info. That's soothe, S-O-O-T-H, keep, K-E-E-P.info. He's got a YouTube channel, same thing, soothekeep, a Rumble channel, soothekeep. Lee, you are such a blessing. I'm so glad we started the week with you because it just empowers and excites and in, in, invigorates us in the in the Word. And uh, we can't wait to have you back on again. So any closing thoughts for our listeners? Yeah, I have this encouragement, folks. Just keep looking up. Keep pressing onwards. Keep pressing upwards. Just keep your eyes on Jesus and keep your eyes on the promises of God. No matter how ugly it dark it gets down here, whether it's your own individual circumstances or whether it's the circumstances of the whole church in the whole world, just keep your eyes on Jesus. because. It may not come as fast as you would like it to come, but it's going to come right on the Lord Jesus' schedule. Amen. He's never late. He's never early. So, uh, well, thanks so much, Lee, folks. We've got a great week ahead. Uh, tomorrow, I'll be on Stand Up for the Truth with Mary Danielson. We're going to be talking about uh, how to study the Bible accurately and uh, correctly, the proper Bible study method. Wednesday, of course, is World Events Update with Randy. Russ Miller is going to be back with us on Thursday talking about false Christs and the Christian industrial complex. And then on Friday, a first-time guest but longtime friend and great Bible scholar from Friends of Israel, Dr. Mike Stallard, will be with us on Friday to talk about Israel, the Bible, and current events. And so uh, stay tuned this week. Uh, as always, you can reach out to us at notbyworks.org. And don't forget to check out that Daniel's uh, 70 Weeks chart. I think it's called Daniel's 490-Year Plan. You can find it in the free section of uh, the Not By Works online store. So God bless everyone. Have a great rest of the week. <clears throat>